Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. We continue our study through this first gospel. We'll look today at a pretty short passage, verses 29 to 31. Matthew 23, 29 to 31. There's a lot of phoniness around. Maybe you've noticed. Yesterday, I got an email from my bank wanting me to verify all my personal information. You guessed it. It only looked like an email from my bank. In the last month, I've received at least 10 emails claiming to be from FedEx, saying they have a package to deliver, but they need more information about my address and phone number. Somehow FedEx has found my house several times, though, so it must not be them. Recently, I've been receiving probably at least a dozen now, maybe 20 calls from Lyndon. Somebody I know, it must be 354-something. That's Lyndon. Except there's no neighbor there. It's a robocall for something. And then, of course, this week I heard yet again from the IRS telling me that they're coming to arrest me for my back taxes. <laughs> and Social Security is concerned about my fraudulent uh, claims. And, of course, I've heard again from Microsoft, who either tells me my computer is broken or tells me that they owe me a refund for the service plan I broke, I, that I bought the last time they told me it was broken, all of which I didn't do anyway. Oh, and I failed to mention the, uh, the free back braces and knee braces that are, are available to me. There's a lot of phoniness around. Have you noticed that? Aren't you glad it isn't in the churches? Or is it? That's what Jesus is warning us, warning us about this morning. Let me read. Matthew 23, 29. Woe to you. Teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. This has, text has two things to say to us this morning, I think. And uh, this is the last of the woes that Jesus pronounces. This is number seventh woe to you, he says. And the woe this time is, your true colors are showing. Your true colors are showing. Sometimes it seems that we orchestrate our whole life as kind of a, a personal pageant to present ourselves as this person that we want to be. It, it never actually reveals what we are inside. It's what people want to believe that we are. It's what we want to believe that we are inside. And then it seems something always happens, or we inadvertently say some, some stupid thing, which puts a crack in the facade, puts a crack in our image, and people 
can get a peek at the real me that's in there. And suddenly, our true colors are showing. That expression, showing your true colors, is a very old idiom. It's back from the 1700s, as best as I could uh, trace it. Back then, sailing ships, uh, as they still do, I suspect, showed their colors. That is, they flew their flag so that everyone would know who they were, where they were from. But sometimes enemies or pirates would intentionally fly a different flag, a, a one from a friendly country, until they were close and ready to attack, and only then would you see their true colors. The real flag was raised, which showed them to be an enemy, not a friend. And so this expression came to describe deceivers being found out, people finally seeing their true colors. And that's what happened in our text. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were carefully building their reputation for piety. But while carefully doing that, they inadvertently made one misstatement. And Jesus, seen through their hypocrisy, recognized that, saw their true colors, and confronted them. Our text says that they have been building tombs and decorating the graves of the prophets. They were doing those things to honor these great men of God who had gone before them, doing things which undoubtedly would actually honor them too, as they were honoring these great people. And while these religious leaders honored the prophets, they also expressed their displeasure with the way that their forefathers had treated those prophets. They piously said, if we had been alive, we would not have taken part in shedding the blood of the prophets. And it was just at that point that Jesus said, you testify against yourself. He said, in effect, you are as guilty as your forefathers who actually did the murdering. By your own words, you admit that you too would have killed the prophets. That your own heart is the same as your forefathers. Now first we read that and we say, Jesus, wait a minute. What are you saying here? How did Jesus come to that conclusion? Was that a fair accusation? Didn't they just say, if we had been alive, we would not have killed the prophets like our forefathers did? I must admit, this is a problem statement. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and struggling over it. And then one day as I studied, probably with somebody else's help, but I don't remember which one of those books put me onto it, suddenly it made sense. Let me explain. The Pharisees describes in their statement about, if we had been there, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. They speak of two groups of people. One they call their forefathers, the other they call the prophets. So here's the question. How were those who they call their forefathers, those who killed the prophets, how were they any more their forefathers than the prophets were their forefathers? Both groups were Jews. 
The prophets, as well as their forefathers, were teachers of the law and priests and various other occupations. They were all descended from the 12 tribes of Israel. So how were the murderers of the prophets, the forefathers of these scribes and Pharisees, but the prophets who were murdered were not their forefathers? How was one more of their forefathers than the other? It wasn't. It wasn't. Biologically, ethnically, functionally, occupationally, the murderers and the prophets who were murdered were equally the forefathers of the scribes and Pharisees. So why did the scribes and teachers, the the Pharisees and teachers of the law identify with the murderers of the prophets rather and calling them our forefathers rather than the prophets who were murdered. Why? Because that's where their heart was. No matter how they honored the prophets, their sense of identity was not with the prophets but were those who actually murdered the prophets. Jesus knew that, and he was quick enough to pick it up when they said it. Their true colors were showing. You see, as they built and decorated the graves of the prophets, they did not say, today we honor our forefathers, the prophets, who love the truth that we love who stood the test of opposition to the truth in the same way that we're determined to stand firm, who were faithful to the end, though it cost them their lives, as we are determined to be faithful no matter what the cost. May God grant us perseverance as he granted our forefathers, the prophets. Oh no, that's not what they said. Instead they said, we would never have murdered them had we been there. And when they made this we-them distinction, they put themselves on the wrong side. On the opposite side from God's prophets. Here they are over here. On the side with the murderers of the prophets. And in doing so, they inadvertently revealed their own heart. Let me give you another illustration of how this we versus them distinction identifies us. Years ago, 30-some years ago it has been now, the space shuttle Challenger, a great source of national pride, and its crew of seven, the closest thing that we had to heroes at that time, Suddenly and without warning, the whole thing was obliterated in a massive explosion and fell in a million pieces into the ocean as the eyes of a whole nation watched the tragedy. I was still flying airplanes back in that day. And this was a matter of 
lot of interest to me. I covered the, I, I watched the news coverage carefully. I was glued to it. And I remember seeing something really interesting. When they interviewed other astronauts, old astronauts, astronauts still in the program who were not flying that mission, when they, entered, when they interviewed the astronauts, they always spoke about this whole incident in different terms than everyone else spoke of it. They always said, we, when they spoke of the lost crew members. Everyone else who was interviewed spoke of them. You see, while others were identifying with the pain of the nation and the pain of the surviving families, these other astronauts were identifying with the crew that they know could have been them. The point is, the way we identify with others shows something of our own identity, our own attitude, and who we really are inside. And that's the point of this text. That's what Jesus is saying. When the scribes and the Pharisees identified their forefathers as those who killed the prophets, rather than the prophets who were killed, they showed their true colors. This is a really subtle point. But this is the point of this whole text. So I must ask myself, and I ask you, where are we? When you read the Bible and you hear the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness saying, we were better off in Egypt, we ought to just go back down there, at least we had food to eat, the place to live. Do you say with them, yeah, Moses, what were you doing bringing them out here to die in the wilderness? Or do you say with Moses, Lord, Lord, help me here. Deliver this people. Help them to trust you, Lord. Or, or when Jeremiah, one of the prophets, is thrown into the empty cistern to sink down in the mud and rot till he dies. Do you say, well, I would never have treated Jeremiah like that, even though he was a troublesome sort of guy. Are you there with Jeremiah saying, if this is the cost of speaking God's truth, Lord, give me grace to bear the cause with Jeremiah. Or when Stephen is being stoned to death for speaking boldly about Jesus, are you standing there detached with Saul of Tarsus, watching it all happen, saying, what a radical this guy was. I don't know if we should have stoned him to death, but good riddance. He deserved whatever he got. Are you a Stephen saying, hang in there, brother. This could be me with you. Oh, when you hear Timothy getting a letter from Paul in Rome, facing execution soon, do you say with Timothy, here I am, Lord. Send me if you need me. I won't be ashamed. I won't be ashamed to testify of you. Or do you say, wasn't there a more civilized way for Paul to do his service to the Lord? I mean, if Paul hadn't been, uh, hadn't been so offensive to so many people, he probably wouldn't be being executed. Which are you? 
Where's your heart? Watch out. Your true colors are shown. So if your true colors are showing, showing you really, if people knew, to be a phony, a pirate, an enemy of the Lord, what's the solution? Hopefully none of us wants to be a phony, a hypocrite, one whose true colors sometimes shine through. Hopefully we want to be what we claim to be. But how can we change from being a fake to being genuine? There's only one solution. And that's our second point. Jesus changes us from phony to real. Jesus changes us from phony to real. Now this sounds impossible. In fact, it is impossible for us. How do you change counterfeit money into real dollars? <laughs> you can't. How, how do you change a made-up story into the truth? You can't. How do you change plastic flowers into fresh roses? You can't. How do you change your phony self into a real Christian? You can't. You will only create another camouflage. Only Jesus can change you and make you real. Much is made these days of having role models. We've learned that we become like the people we admire. When we identify with someone, we tend to be, be like them. When we admire someone, we want to imitate them. Now, that... that idea of identifying with someone is a point already made in our text in a negative way. The Pharisees identified, not with the prophets, but with their peers who killed the prophets, the people that they admired more. And so eventually they became like them. As the people they admired had killed the prophets, they sought to kill Jesus. But just identifying yourself in your mind, feeling some connection with someone, trying to imitate them, making them a role model for you, while all of that may be a healthy, wonderful thing, it is only as powerful as your own ability to change. Isn't it? But Christ Jesus came to do what we could not do and to radically change us from phonies to real. From hypocrites and fakes to genuine. And he doesn't just ask us to identify with him or to see him as a role model to be imitated, though he does that too. He identifies us with Christ. This idea of identification with Christ is a huge, wonderful truth. We cannot possibly exhaust it this morning, but let me just introduce you to just a little smattering of what God did when he identified us, not ask us in our mind to identify, but he identified us with Christ. 
The heart of our identification with Jesus is not how we think about him. It's what God thought about, what God was doing when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. God identified us so closely with Jesus that his death counted for us. Counted as God's judgment against us. And his rising from the dead counted on our behalf that we're now alive to God rather than dead in our sins. Just from Jesus' death and resurrection, everything changed because God identified us with Jesus. And out of that flowed lots of things. When God identifies us with Christ Jesus, it's not just a nice thought. It is supernatural change. Let me give some examples. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that when God joins us to Jesus, we become a new creation. A new creation. Jesus told Nicodemus in, Nicodemus in John 3 that his identification with Jesus would be nothing less than a new birth. When the prophet Ezekiel predicted it, describing it as God bringing, he described it as God bringing dead bones laying out on the desert all together and putting them together and putting flesh on them and then breathing into them the life of death and ra- the, life, uh, the breath of life and raising up from these dead bones living people, a living army of God. In fact, God promises that he not only gives us a new spirit, his breath of spirit in us, but he puts in us his own Holy Spirit. Christ changes us from phony to real. The Bible describes this identification with Christ using lots of metaphors. Let me just mention some. It says that when we're baptized into Christ, we're not only cleansed, but we're united with Christ, identified with him. This union is like a marriage union between a husband and wife. This union is like being adopted into a family, suddenly become a child of that family. This union is like rising from the dead, alive to God, like with Jesus. It's like being a branch that's connected to the vine so it can have life and bear fruit. It's, it's like becoming a member of Christ's body, like your Christ's hand or Christ's ear, or Christ's eye. In more ways than we can describe, Jesus changes us. God identifies us with Jesus, and Jesus changes us from phony to real. All these changes are summed up in the little phrase, in Christ. In Christ. James Boyce explained a quote from him. In all, there are over a hundred, a hundred verses in the New Testament that use the word in before one of the names of Jesus Christ. And when these are arranged in chronological order, they show us that we have been placed in Christ before the foundation of the world, 
that we're identified with him in his birth, we're identified with him in his circumcision, we're identified with him in his baptism, we're identified with him on the cross in his death, we're identified with him in his resurrection, and we are to be found identified with Christ forever. Sometimes we give a key witness in the high-profile trial a new identity for his own protection. New name, new ID, new town, new everything. Jesus gives us a better new identity. He doesn't change our names or our face or our address, but he makes us a new person in the deepest depths, the deepest recesses of our being, at the level of our own identity, by joining us to himself and his work that makes everything new, starting from the inside and working out through all of our life. As Christ Jesus changes us from phony to real, from fake to genuine. This morning I call you to Jesus. Turn to him and find not a better facade with no cracks where people don't really see the real you, but become a new person in Christ. Call upon him. Trust him. Give yourself to him who remakes you in his own image. But this identification with Jesus is not just a one-moment thing. It's our life every day. It's the bottom line of all of our Christian experience to learn more and more that we're in Christ, that we're identified with Christ, that we belong to Christ. He decisively and continually is changing us from phony to real. There's an old spiritual, we sing it often on Good Friday. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Our text this morning says, yes, you were. You were there. You were there. From God's perspective, perspective, you were there and you continue to be there every day. Either you were there in that you identified with him and are dying with him and rising to new life with him every day. Or you were there with his enemies crying, crucify, crucify. Though you may claim that if you had been there, you would not do that. But there's no middle ground. You're either identified with Christ or with his murderers. Just like the Pharisees. Just like the Pharisees. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we like to malign the scribes and Pharisees because... uh, If we see them as people more respected and more holy and more pious and more knowledgeable of your word and more committed to the details of your law than we ever thought of being, hmm, makes us look even worse. But Father, the issue is not, can we go through the motions as diligently as they did? The issue is, where's our heart? And you know that. And we're busy fooling everyone. 
but you know that. And so, Lord, this morning, open our hearts, Lord, to you. Thank you that you've identified us with Christ. Do your work in us. In every part that we would know what it is to be in Christ. To be being changed from the inside out. From our natural hypocritical phoniness. Into the genuine child of God. We don't have the power to change ourselves, Lord. We're desperately dependent upon you. Apart from you, we only more and more show our true colors and people see how phony we are and they see that we're the enemy, they see that we're wicked, not righteous, and it goes downhill. Oh, Father, change us by the Savior's power. In his name we pray, amen. In your bulletin, there's an affirmation of faith. You'd find it. 